Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Peter Cohan, back in the house. I am very excited about this, man. Peter, you came on, how long ago is it, Tim? Like three months ago? Well, it was episode 13. Episode 13, and we're at, this is going to be 26 or 27? I think this one will wind up being 27. We do one a week, so wow. Yeah, about three months ago. Peter, welcome back to Tripping Over the Barrel. I have to tell you the personal feedback that I was given from people in my network, especially those that give demos, effectively anybody who has a mouth and a mouse, um, <laughs> loved it. Loved it. I think you gave away a ton of awesome free content um, and and really brought value to our podcast. We were itching to have you back. You know, unfortunately, we had a bunch of super famous oil and gas people to bring in before you could come back a second time. But here we are. Tim, there's a couple topics today we discussed beforehand. Um, you want to dive into them. I think the first one we said doing discovery. And the second one is how do you engage an audience well? operating over the web, which all of us are. So yeah, well, let's, let's do the second one first, because towards the end of the podcast, but towards the end of episode 13, we were talking about virtual stuff and speaker switches specifically. And man, Peter, you dropped a knowledge bomb that I'm still trying to recover from. What Gong IO or whoever you referenced yep. said, you need to do a speaker switch every 73 seconds. Mind blowing. I can't. How, how do you do that? Well, you guys are doing it right now. Actually, this is this is beautiful. If the audience <laughs> see the Zenster uh, dashboard, what they would see are um, three active plots going across the screen where you can see voices scritching away up and down as they move from right to left. And if I pause and say, uh, Tim, you know, what do you think about the Zenster interface? What do we see? Well, I'd say it's... Uh pretty interesting to use and I can tell who's talking at any given time. And what you just saw is a speaker switch. And yeah, you're, you were very close. You're only off by about uh, 4%. The actual number was 76 seconds. And it's what was, uh, what was so close. It was what was uncovered in the gone <laughs> study of what would that, I think when we first talked about it, it was something like 67,000 recorded demos. It's now up to over 3 million. So the data is pretty good. What? <laughs> Um, and, and, and it's still it, consistent. It, it's, go ahead. But so my question though is, when I'm giving a demo, a virtual demo to Australia or the Middle East or whatever else, I'm trying to do a presentation, and it's crickets on the other end. How do you get someone to contribute from the other side regularly? You know, you ask, a, "Hey, does that make sense for you?" Or, "Hey, what's going on?" <laughs> and then there's nothing. You have to, okay, by your silence, I'm going to continue. So how do you draw people in for something like that? So a lot of it is is actually training of your audience. And then there are tips, tricks, skills, best practices that we can apply as we're going forward. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So 99.9% .9 of all live demo presentations start with the phrase, can you see my screen? And then what happens after that? Uh -huh. somebody, somebody starts talking. Blah, blah, blah. Look at my slides. There you go. Talk and click and talk and click and talk and click. 
And I think we talked about the last session, 99%, there's a full percent here where people are actually doing it well, but 99% of all, all web-based demos, after they say, can you see my screen? They then say, and we'd like this to be interactive, so stop me if you have questions along the way, but typically speaking, they've got uh, an hour that they need to fit everything they want to in that session. So they really don't want to get questions from the audience because that's simply going to keep them from being able to cover <laughs> the content that they want to cover. So I'll give you an example of a, of a different way to start. So let's let's pretend for a moment that we're on a Zoom session and uh, I'm your presenter and I'm sharing my screen. Uh, can you guys see a screen that says great demo in the middle, please? Give me a verbal yes or no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. And can you see my mouse moving in the upper left-hand corner of the screen? Oh yeah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. And now how about in the bottom right-hand corner? Just get into the demo, man. What's going on here? <laughs> no, 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 no. We have, one, we have one more. So we have one more. Okay. And I'm going to say three, two, one, click. And then please let me know when you see the next slide appear. So three, two, one, click. I see it. There you go. Yep. All right. So what did we just do? It's stepping out of this mini role play mode. So what did, what did we just do? Well, you trained them to answer your questions. Yeah. So I was or at least one of them. Go ahead. At least one of them. At least one of them. Yeah. Well, you know, adults learn by repetition. What can you say? So, <laughs> um, what we're doing there is, is we're confirming that not only do they see your screen, but they seem to see the same screen real estate that we hope and believe they should. So can you see my mouse in the upper left-hand corner? Everybody should be able to see that if you're sharing the screen. Yeah, if you see my mouse in the bottom right-hand corner, that means that you're seeing at least my full screen. So does that resonate so far? Yeah, actually it does. Yeah. And then what was the second thing that I did after that? And why did I do it? Well, I told you, not, Tim, he was going to come through asking us questions. We got to be on our toes. Yeah, man. Yeah, right. Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> He flips this shit around. No, so yeah, you're, you're telling us, okay, this is where I want you to focus, right? I want your eyes trained to follow what I'm doing here. And I also want you to be engaged and be prepared for the fact that just like you're doing today, I'm going to ask you questions and you might need to be ready to answer them. Exactly. And, and by the way, the second exercise that I did when I said, I'm going to say three, two, one, click, and then let me know when you see the next PowerPoint slide appear. That's a fabulous way of also getting instantly the latency, the delay that your customers say, see. So when you say click and you count 1,000, 2,000, they say, I see it. Now you know that you've got a two second delay, which means that when you're mousing in a demo or presentation, you want to, well, I'll ask you guys, since now we've got this train, what would you want to do if you know there's a two second delay? Confirm that they're seeing what you're showing because there's a delay. Yeah, well, let me tell you, pause two seconds. Everyone. There you go. There you go. I was doing a demo uh, in the middle of the summer um, for some folks in Germany. And when I did that latency check, it was about six to seven seconds. And that, as you guys know, is a long time. So what I needed to do. Massive. Was, yeah. What I needed to do was to coordinate. So when I was presenting a slide, I would click. 
And I would count in my brain, well, or whatever I was using, but I would count that five or six or seven <laughs> seconds before I started to talk about what they should be seeing. The same thing was true when I was um, mousing in the software. I would click and I would have to wait five or six or seven seconds before I describe what they should be seeing. So these are some things we can begin to do uh, to deal with to deal with operating over the web. And to answer the 73, question, 74, yeah. 75, 76. Okay, no, I, so I have to talk. So <laughs> this has been, Peter, of all the things that we've discussed, this has immensely changed my approach to demonstrations. And I think at first, it probably pissed my subject matter experts, my sales engineers off a little bit, like, get out of my room, man. You keep coming in here and talking when I'm the one that's supposed to be talking for 12 and a half minutes straight. And it's like, well, maybe so, but I'm the color commentator now. And I'm going to make sure that these guys on the other line are staying awake. So I view it as, yes, I can ask you a question, but maybe I could just throw something out there as a you know piece of color commentary. like, And that's why we believe it's advantageous to use functionality XYZ. Uh, Harrison Bedford, who's one of my uh, top subject matter experts, he's one of my sales engineers. I know he's listening to this podcast. He listens to all of them. He is now overly conscious of this. So he starts to become supremely aware of somebody else should say something. I need to engage the audience. I can't just have silence because before that, I think he would just go and go and go for for five minutes and, and 10 minutes like most people would. And now his whole approach has changed. And for me, that's been a game changer. So the the coexisting now is a little bit easier, but it's a change, right? And man, I've been talking for like 71 seconds. This is <laughs> and from, <laughs> there we go. Uh, from, from my seat, it, I'll be honest, I can't just be the lazy sales guy who tunes out and starts texting my friends during a demo. I need to be ready to chime in. I need to be ready to save him if he starts talking for two and a half minutes in a row. Yeah, and there are there's a whole list of things that you can do to help to help this whole process. So bear in mind, you said something really intriguing at the beginning of this segment, and that is, isn't it a presentation? And I think the answer is no. It, a demo should be a conversation, not a presentation. A presentation implies one mm. party sits there and listens, maybe asks a few questions, and the other party just delivers the whole time. Uh, a conversation implies exactly that. It's two-way, it's bi-directional, and that's what you want to have happening. That's one of the other things the Gong study showed. I think we mentioned in the last session <clears throat> that something like, the, well, the best-performing demos, the best-performing reps, uh, enjoyed 28% more questions during the course of a demo than their, mm. their peers. 28%, that's, that's almost a third. So what you want is you present something and you, you, you describe three things. You say, so what you're looking at here is, you describe the capability, then you describe, and we hope that this is going to enable you to solve the problem of blah, blah, blah. You describe what the value, the, how it will help the person solve the problem. And if it's appropriate in the software, then you attach some value to it. You can say something like, which we hope will enable you to reduce uh, your time to blah, blah, blah by 50%. Yep. And then you pause. And why do you pause? Because that point was important, right? You want to let that sit out there even with silence for a second. And you want them to confirm it. 
And you want them to think about it for a moment. And if they have a question, a comment, or observation, that's where you want them to chime in. And that's how you begin to drive the conversation. So after the, the last one that we sat through, so however many months ago it was, I started to consciously actually point questions so I could see who was on the Zoom call or Teams call or whatever call I was on. I would actually start to pick a name off of the list and say, and it's all one company, so they all knew each other. All right, Joe, it, does that resonate with you? Does that make sense? And it took them a while to kind of come back and answer it. And I can tell you that the the sales guy that was you know local did not like it. He did not like me putting his clients on the spot. <laughs> but I was able to start getting them to respond. Their cultural, there are cultural problems. A couple of these guys were from another country, and it really it did rub them a little bit raw, but is, are there other techniques to get them during the presentation to actually respond? So I like to use the analogy of a face-to-face -face meeting for the web. And I will often actually say that. I'll say, folks, let's treat this session as if we are meeting face-to-face. -face. And what that means, what that translates to is, all right, let's all turn on our webcams, uh, you know, no matter how you look and say hello, wave, you know, let's connect. So I gently but firmly force people to turn on their webcams. Um, I have them go through, <laughs> I have them go through um, an introduction. So if I don't know them intimately, um, or I think might have, things might have changed, um, I'll ask typically three questions. What's your name? If it's not showing in the webcam you know, window, what's your name? What's your job title? Mm -hmm. And what would you like to take away from our demo or our meeting today? So right at the very beginning as people are coming in, I'm beginning to train them to respond to our questions and that this really is going to be interactive. So does that resonate so far? Big time, big time, <laughs> man. That's how uh, you just, so um, I have so many thoughts, Peter. I want to ask you questions because you come on my podcast, you ask us questions and put us on the spot, but gotcha. I see how this works. <laughs> I think you're playing your game. You're playing, you're playing your game, right? And, and truth be told, it is much harder when you're not in person, especially when people aren't willing to turn on their cameras. I always turn on my camera and usually there'll be something, you know, I, I'm sitting here with a, a you know, a, a poster of Kevin Garnett in the background, like I'm 12 years old, but nonetheless, it's enough commentary for people to say, Oh yeah, hopefully the Celtics win or the Lakers lose, or I, I hope the Lakers lose personally. You know, I hate them. Uh, but it, it is a conversation piece right? It is a, we have an advantage when we're not in the room because what are you going to do? Comment on somebody's socks? I mean, it's, it's much easier. I think we have that built-in advantage if people are willing to turn their cameras on. To, to change it up a little bit though, Peter, can we talk about platforms that you use to engage the audiences remotely? Because we use Microsoft Teams, my company W as, as an organization, I'll use Zoom for some personal calls. We use GoToMeeting, but they just couldn't seem to keep up with the game. So they're put to bed, at least for our company. Do you have pre preferred platforms where you can create more engagement or that are more solid for you in these remote demos? So, yeah. And I would say that, that there are three that are at the top of the list and that everything else is off the list. So I really like Zoom. Zoom is pretty much the, the leader of the pack these days. They have all the tools that I could ever contemplate needing, and we'll talk about some tools in a moment. Um, it's well mm -hmm. 
it's well, um, how do I just want to say it? It's well laid out on the screen. It's easy to get to everything rapidly. It's a nice, it's a nice tool that they have put together for exactly these kinds of sessions. They support, um, they support webcams really, really well. So you could have, you know, you could have a group of, of 12 people with all of their webcams on and see them all comfortably. Um, GoToMeeting and WebEx are all perfectly fine. They're, they're fairly comparable. I think Zoom has a few legs up over those guys. Now I'll shatter your bubble. Teams, um, what's the technical term for this? Sucks for demos. <laughs> no, no, really? Okay, let me let Wow, I see. I like it. I like the chat function. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor, but I like Teams. So here's what Teams does, at least when I last checked, and I could be disabused of this, Teams does not have annotation capabilities or what they have is totally insufficient. Um, by annotation capabilities, I mean the ability to draw on the screen on top of your software. So to circle something, to highlight something, to put an arrow against something, to draw the audience's attention to what you want them to be looking at. And so first of all, does that, does that resonate? Then I want to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, it does. I do think and there's another thing too with the whole rooms concept that I think Zoom was the first to come up with. You got 12 people in here. Let's break this out into three rooms of four. But yes, I think Teams forces you, it is a Microsoft app, to do some more of that in the PowerPoint and have no ability to do it in Teams. I agree. Yeah, PowerPoint has a, a nice rudimentary set of annotation tools. You can circle, there's a pen, there's a laser and so forth. If you look at Zoom and you open up the annotation pane, it's rich and it enables a, let me, how do I want to phrase this? It enables you to do nearly exactly what you would do in a face-to-face -face session. If you want to go right up to the screen in a face-to-face -face session and point to something specifically and say, hey, I want you to look right here. This is the graph that shows blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you want to go over to a whiteboard and you want to draw something, you want to write some text, you can do all of that in moments dynamically in Zoom using the Zoom capabilities. And those are some of the things that we need to do when we're operating over the web. And this is what I mean by if we think in terms of the analogy of the face-to-face -face meeting, uh, <laughs> well, sadly, a lot of, a lot of people doing demos, they, they would treat it exactly the same way as a, uh, as a web meeting. They simply say, <laughs> you see my screen and then they're off and running. But the skilled yeah. practitioner gets up, gets up out of his or her chair, goes to the screen, grabs the audience's eyeballs and takes those eyeballs by pointing specifically to what they want the customer to be looking at as they're presenting. They take the customer's eyeballs over to a whiteboard by walking over to a whiteboard, picking up a pen and starting to mm -hmm. draw it. This is how you engage. This is how you, you draw the conversation yeah. in. So let me pause there and ask comments, questions, observations. Well, I do have uh, well, first of all, I agree with you completely on being able to annotate the screen and be able to point to things and direct attention. But one thing I sat in on one of your presentations, I forget which one. And one of the things you were doing particularly well was actually using the chat to drive. It was a big webinar, multiple companies. It wasn't one-on-one, -on -one, maybe 30 people there. You are driving people to the chat and asking questions and basically demanding response. And you're kind of yeah. using that for your interactivity. Is that, I mean, is that strategic or is that just kind of a fluke of what the way you do things? 
That, dear sirs, is strategic. That is the way to have a conversation with an audience that's larger than uh, you can have with the microphones all unmuted. Uh, it's a chat is a fabulous tool, and I do the same thing at the very beginning. Um, if you listen to one of these webinars, you'll hear me say, "Hey, folks, as you're all coming in, uh, tell me what's your job title. Uh, what would you like to take away from our session?" And you'll see people begin to use chat, and then I will leverage that. I will ask people, "Can you see my mouse? Type mouse in the chat. If you can hear my voice, type mouse. Uh, type mouse. Type voice or whatsoever." And so we're training the same thing. We're training people to use chat as a conversation vehicle, and it becomes a delight. People will make jokes. You can riff off of them. Um, it, it just makes it much more enjoyable. Um, I'll, I'll give you another little tip, and that is if you're going to call somebody out, just use their first name. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, in my case, you can call me Funk, and I might, I might like you more. In Tim's case, not so much. People butcher yeah, yeah. that one all the time. Got to go first name with me. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, the, but the other thing that you do in that chat, that it, you know, I, I guess this is a lesson for those who are going to try to use this. You verbally pick out when you ask for a response. Hey, everyone who likes this, type in blah blah blah. And someone mm -hmm. invariably types in something different and you actually call it out. So in my case, I did tell a joke in the chat and you actually, I know you didn't know it was me, but you threw it back out there. So you ha effectively had a speaker change without the speaker changing. Now, does that make yeah. sense? There you go. And by the way, I didn't know it was you because it, the chat will show the name. Well, so, I mean, you had so many things going by, you just picked out something funny. So I have a story. I have to share this. And uh, hopefully I don't get in trouble for sharing it. But I was on a large group demonstration and there had been a lot of people who, you know, they, they would raise their hand and I would call on them as the salesperson. It was a very natural way to break up the two minutes of speaking from my sales engineer. But somebody at one point typed something in that was like, yeah, they, they really didn't hit the mark on this demo, right? And then it's like silence and then it's deleted, right? And I'm like, what, where, did, where did that come from, right? That, <laughs> who knew? But it also shows you some of the risk of leveraging these tools. If you could whisper that to somebody or text it to somebody, it's not showing up on the radar of the demo person. But for all I know, that hit the lady's radar that was showing the demo and she's like, demoralized from, from seeing it, right? So, so it's, it, we're in a different climate right now and people are still trying to figure out how to navigate all these applications. And, you know, I guess those things are going to happen. And uh, it's sort of like the openness where, hey, you made a mistake, but maybe I would have overheard you whispering it. But everybody's done the reply to all in email, too. It's the same thing. Oh, it's, that, it's the same that, thing. Right? Would, would you guys like a same horror story? <laughs> yes, sir. Love your stories. So I'm this is a number of years ago. It was probably nine years ago. So I'm watching a webinar, and it was by one of the major webinar companies like Om24, one of these guys. I don't remember who it was. And they, had, they started the webinar, and they had just released chat. It was the first time that they had had a chat capability. And so they were encouraging everybody, chat to the panelists, chat to the audience, chat, 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 and everybody's having a good time. Things went smoothly for about the first 20 minutes and then appearing in the Outlook preview mini window in the bottom right corner. You guys are familiar? Give me a yes or no. Oh, yeah. Yep. Was a, was a preview of a message that described in sufficient clarity, 
plans oh, for, no. I should say, sufficient erotic clarity, plans for a date that evening. And I will share with you that oh, audience went, <laughs> but it was not what the presenter had looked for. And by the way, chat went crazy. The webinar might as well have been over at that point. So what's the moral? <laughs> <laughs> Turn off Better. notifications. I did it. I did it just yesterday. I sent and you <laughs> turn off notifications. Absolutely. I just yesterday I sent an email to the wrong person. Fortunately, it wasn't anything that would affect me in any way professionally. But somebody, you know, it was to four people, and somebody else texted me right away, like you put the wrong Tim. I'm like, oh crap. And that <laughs> that feeling when that happens is only magnified when you're in a live session, right? Oh, it's man. easier to dig out of that and in other worlds. So okay, we've we've talked about that a bunch. We're already at the 24 minute mark. I want to talk about doing discovery. And you basically clowned us last time for saying, Hey, is discovery important? And he's like, get out of my house. You, you shouldn't even ask this, that you can't do a demo without discovery. So, so tell me more when you are doing a discovery session, what does that look like to you? Is it, do you need to have the subject matter expertise and the person coordinating the meeting on their side? How long typically is the discovery session? Give me some best practices without, you know, giving away the farm to what uh, appropriate discovery looks like. So given the state of agriculture in the U.S., I'm more than delighted to give away the farm. <laughs> but <laughs> but so here's so the, the first comment I will make, and it's and it's the one you always expect from a question like that is it depends. But let's let's put out some ideas at least. Um, and I'll give you I'll give you an example. So when I'm doing when I'm doing discovery today, uh, working with a prospect, trying to move them to become a customer of demo skills training, I would expect to do the following uh, discovery work. Number one, I'd probably need to invest. Let's say Tim. Let's say that you and I were setting up to do uh, the possibility of a workshop for your team, and Tim's been through this, so he knows the pain and suffering involved. Um, I would say, Tim, let's let's jump on a call of, let's say, 45 minutes or so, so I can get an understanding of your team, uh, sales process, uh, sales methodology, if anybody's actually using any, nature of your customers. So we would go through the first of what would probably be two calls for a total of somewhere in the order of 90 to 120 minutes, an hour and a half to two hours, of just pure oh. Q&A with, with Tim, because that gives me the not just the pain information, but the other cultural and related information that I really need to do a good job setting up training. So let me pause there and ask, does that resonate? It does, but I'm going to tell you, I cringe and I know Jeremy did. I saw him do it. It's hard to get that guy for that amount of time. Uh -huh. and sometimes they flat out refuse. And so well, that's where I'm, that's the biggest. How do you get past that? So here's, it, it's, it's fun. So, so what typically will happen, somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, I'm interested in demo skills training over the web somehow. And I'll say, terrific, let's set a time to connect and let's schedule a 30 minute call. And so we begin a 30 minute call. They're asking some questions about, you know, what can we do? I ask some questions a little bit about your team and where you are. And we're, we're doing a little bit of a mutual, um, I'm giving information about workshops and different offerings. He or she's giving information about their team and where he thinks you know things are. They think things are, and around the twenty-five minute mark, I will say, so you know what? I've got a pile more questions I need to ask. I'm going to send you information on workshops, including pricing, 
and if this sounds interesting to you and you'd like to continue, let's set up a second call. It'll probably be 45 minutes for an hour. And this is a delightful decision point because, well, let me ask you guys. If the guy says, <laughs> oh, just send me the information, what does that mean? Versus if he says, yeah, let's set up a second call, what does that mean? I, I don't see. I think what somebody would come back with is, I just want to see the product. Like if they're ready to go away right then, they probably shouldn't have had that first discovery in the first place. But I think what I would encounter is someone says, come on, man, you and I already talked. You know, Both of us know our stuff. We've done 30, 45 minutes of discovery. I haven't given you enough to show a demo. Well, this is, we're talking right now, we're talking about demo skills training, okay? For, in other words, my offering okay. today. But it's a good, it's a good model. Yeah. The, the 25 minute mark question is a delightful decision point because if somebody is just browsing at this point, they're just collecting information, they have what they need and I have what I need at that point. But somebody who's really interested in solving the problem of improving demos for their team realizes that there's a lot of stuff going on in their pre-sales organization. There's POCs, there's RFPs, there's remote demos, there's face-to-face -face sessions, there's demos for you know people that are just engaging, there's demos for renewals. And there's a lot of information to collect so that we can actually put together training that makes sense. So if for somebody, if for somebody, I'm now turning it down. If somebody agrees to a second call, I know that they're serious at that point and that they're invested. Great. Does that, does that resonate? So, absolutely. Yeah. And I think when you said, you know, let me send you the questions or the menu or whatever in the email, mm -hmm. um, that, if they say yes to that, well, you may hear back from them, but that's usually the, yeah, send it to me and I won't respond. Well, that's, yeah, so that that's an easy qualification point for me. If I send them that information, I confirm that they receive it and they're just digesting it, then that's fine. That means that they are not yet ready to move forward with this kind mm. of a project. They may, by the way, they may come back in a year or two, or believe it or not, eight. I've actually had, I've actually had this happen where somebody held on to my email response, sent my email send to them that described workshops and pricing and everything. Eight years later, the guy replies and says, okay, we're ready. <laughs> so it's not it's an eight, year, eight year old reply. Wow. Well, yeah, it was pretty insane. Um, it's by the way, that was not unique. Anyway, it's it's um, it is what it is. It's pipeline. It's what that is. But if somebody says, "Yeah, let's schedule another call and go through it," um, that means they're really invested. They're interested. They want to solve their problem. So that's part one. Hope you're sitting down. Part one is think of it in terms of ninety to one hundred twenty minutes of discovery with with Tim, and then I would ask Tim hey, let's organize for me to see a couple of good representative demos from your current team members to me so that I can get an understanding of, of how they're presenting today and begin to get reasonably familiar with some of the, the, let's say, key moving pieces and deliverables and workflows of your offering. Because how could I possibly, uh, <laughs> how could I offer, possibly offer a prescription if I have never even seen the patient? So, to, <laughs> right? Well, so, you just go to the pharmacy and take one of every pill. There you go. That's the, so that's that's traditional training. We don't care about your situation. We have the same cookie cutter um, product, and we're gonna we're gonna make you learn it, whether or not it's applicable or not. So that's one of the key differences.
Does that resonate? Where do? Oh, absolutely. And it's the, I think you used this analogy the last time. Uh, you, you show up and you say, okay, I need surgery. And the doctor says, where do I operate? You say, I don't know. You're the expert. So I actually want to come back to that. You blow my mind every time you come on one of these sessions. The 76 seconds last time has filtered into every other aspect of my life. I've told this to no less than 100 people and certainly everybody who ever does demos and it blows their mind. But today you're talking about one and a half to two hours of discovery. And, and I have to come back to this because Tim and I are both subject matter experts. I would say for sales guys, we are a little bit more advanced than, than most. And, and we can speak at a level that a lot of sales guys can't. So the trap that I fall into, and maybe Tim does too, is, well, I talked to this dude for 45 minutes and I gave you copious notes. You should be good to go, demo guy. And the demo guy may or may not say, I'm not sure. Maybe we need a little bit more. And I'm like, I don't want to ask him for more. What is he going to tell you that he can't tell me? Right? So, so this is something that, that I need to take to heart and also bring back to the team because candidly, our discovery calls are 30 to 60 minutes. We feel good when we're done. Maybe we should. And that may, depending on the offering, that may be sufficient. But let me... Um Actually, let's play a little role play. So um, the two of you independently, let's just pick, let's just pick one. I don't care. Tim, you have been sick for about a week. You think it might be the flu. Let's say this is pre-COVID-19, just to make this clear. You think it might be the flu. Um, you're feeling crummy. You're not getting better. So you finally, you break down and you go to the hospital. Hospital one, doctor number one, you present and you say, I think you have the flu. So go ahead and say that to me. I'm doctor number one. Sir, doctor number one, I think I have the flu. Well, you know, Tim, um, it's been going around. Everybody has it. And what I'm doing right now is I'm writing a prescription for a powerful new uh, flu med called Flubigon. Pills are kind of large, but start taking these and you should start feeling better in a, in a couple of days. Okay, now, two questions for you guys. And, and think about the way you'd answer this if you were a normal person. <laughs> Question number one, what did, you, what did you think about that interaction? And number two, what is the likelihood you would get that prescription filled and start taking the pills? Well, if I was a normal person, I probably would just, okay, doc, I'll take the pills. I'd for sure start taking the pills if on. I felt like crap, yeah. Okay, you guys are both wrong. I knew this was going to happen with you guys. <laughs> All right. Everyone else in the world would say, no, they didn't. They didn't. The doctor, number one, didn't really ask me anything about my, my condition. So, you know, maybe the pills will work, but maybe not. So the normal human <laughs> would go across town to, to <laughs> hospital number two, doctor number two, present. Yeah. Okay, so Tim, yeah. doctor number two. So go ahead and present and say, I think I have the flu. Hey, Doc, too. I think yeah. I may have the flu. Well, you know what? It's been going around, but how, how long have you uh, how long have you had symptoms? A week and two days. A week and nine days. Have you been running a fever? I have. How, how high? Yeah, between 101 and 103. 103. Okay, that's actually getting up there for the flu. Headaches? Ooh. Yes, some. Some uh, fever, I mean, um, uh, sweats and chills? Yes, intermittent sweats and chills. Intermittent sweats and chills. Um, have you been out of the country in the last uh, month? 
Just to Colorado. Just, okay, well, that's pretty much <laughs> yeah. All right, and we go on, now here's the deal. We go on another, you know, seven doctor minutes, which is a long time for a doctor. And doctor number two writes exactly the same prescription. Now, same two questions. How did you feel about that interaction? What's the likelihood you would take those pills? Well, yeah. certainly I'd feel better about the second interaction just because I felt like there was an actual diagnosis. But if I truly, just to defend myself, if I truly thought I had the flu and confirmed it, I would take the pill. Yeah, well, this is... this. Sorry, Tim, you're, you, we're not normal. We're not normal. Well, it's, there's, there's, by the way, there's also a male-female thing that is, is at play here. Males tend to, tend to basically say, give me the pill, I don't care. And uh, the smaller yeah, yeah. sex tends to actually evaluate why we should be taking those pills. So what's going on here, though, is very important. There are two reasons to do discovery. Number one is so that you, the vendor, can gather sufficient information to be able to uh, propose a precise solution. But number two is to, en to enable the customer to feel that the the, from the customer's perspective, you, the vendor, have asked sufficient questions in order to enable the vendor to propose that precise solution. Does that resonate? It does. And let me tell you, we've done two podcasts in the last month, Susan Klatt and Kevin Decker, and we asked them, hey, as technology guys, what do you what do you want from us from the demo? What you know, what's goes wrong with demos? And both of them in different ways. Susan said it the best way. She goes, well, when I set it up on the plate for you and tell you what I want to see, just listen, just do it, just do what I told you to do. It's the same thing with your discovery. When you do get it and you get the comp, they get the confidence that you listen to them and then you come back and deliver exactly what they told you, then that just shows respect on all sides. And that's, I mean, ultimately that's what we're trying to get in the discovery session is that confidence on both sides that we're going to get a quality presentation. Yeah, there's, I'm going to tell you a mini story um, to help explain something else I want to relate. So I was, doing, it is, I was in this second discovery call, um, this is about six years ago, with a woman. And we had, so we had been, we had been talking to, together for about an hour and a half. And she says, out of the blue, she says, you know you've already closed me. Now, I hadn't talked about specific workshop components. I hadn't talked about how this would be, you know, how, how we would put together a deliverable. But her perspective at that point was, you have gathered sufficient information that whatever you propose is going to be a good fit. That was her perspective. I was delighted. That was the first time I ever heard that. Um, so you had I'm, me at hello. You had me at hello. She had me at the 90 minute mark. I was delighted. So what's who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? What I wanted to relate is most most people when they do discover, they're focusing on the pain points and the workflow. Pain points and the workflow. What are your pain points? Tell me your, your workflow. And most you know um, SMEs are pretty good at that. What people forget about are all the other related factors. Like for example. Um, you guys are your companies. If you were to describe the culture of your companies, are they are they early adopters? Are they fast followers? Are they majority, let's say, operating businesses? If you know what I mean by that, how would you describe them? I think I'm in the fast follower kind of area. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd say we're still probably early adopter, early adopter for where we're at, especially with bringing like native cloud to the industry we're in. Okay. So you have cultural attributes that if I was trying to sell you software, um, come into play because early adopter organizations are, are much more willing to try out new stuff, even make mistakes um, and explore technologies. Fast followers yeah. have, a, dis, have a, dis, you know, a distinct pattern. They don't want to be first because they know first means you're blunting the tip of a spear. But if you're just behind that tip, mm. man, your, your entry's smooth. So you don't want to be first, but you don't want to be late either. Um, you know, tell me about, for example, the nature of your population. Um, are folks, you know, uh, millennials or are they whatever the next generation is before millennials? Or are they boomers and what's the makeup and why might that be important? Tricky, because uh, oil and gas, and, and Tim, you can probably back me up on this. There's sort of a gap, right? Uh, you've got people who are fairly young and right out of school, and then a large population of, I guess I'd say, the executives and director level that are in boomers. their 50s and above, boomers. So so there's a gap. There's not too many people in that 35 to 47 range. It, it tends to be outside of those two things, but that should help us, right? In theory, yeah. And, but this is, this is the cultural information that becomes very important in proposing solutions. So are you guys, you know, do you implement it in an all-at-once fashion or do you want to roll out in stages? So these, these are the kinds of questions that most people never think to ask, but can make a huge difference in the way the customer perceives you as a vendor and your ability to actually deliver and implement. How does that all resonate? Oh, it, it resonates. But to go back to something that you said just a couple of minutes ago, that the woman told you, you had us closed. Well, I mean, it's not quite as bad as when somebody slid their corporate American Express card across the table <laughs> to Tim, and he still wasn't able to close the deal. Didn't close but, it. You know, Peter, th- this is a blast, man. I, I think we're going to cut it here because, frankly... I think the next time I hear you talk, I, I want somebody paying for it. <laughs> you, you are bringing immense value to the table. I'm learning stuff every single time. And now I'm going to sit down for a couple minutes and realize what the hell I'm doing wrong with discovery. I'm going to tell you, in three months from now, we're going to have to have you back because we didn't get to all the stuff we, we probably should be talking about. We never will. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, thank you, my man. And oh, one more thing that Peter pointed out to those of us who are in the West that deal with some uh, fire and air quality stuff, he introduced me to a map called purpleair.com. The air where I'm at in Colorado is not great. It's even worse where he is in California. So if you're curious about those kinds of things, which which I am, uh, purpleair.com is pretty sweet. And of course, one more shout out to Peter and greatdemo.com. Peter's dispensed 75 minutes of incredible value over two sessions here. If you want him to come in and talk to your sales team, greatdemo.com. Well, and he's also now started a new thing called uh, My Sales Coach. So he's got oh, a really? gig out doing this, my sales coaching. So I think you know, if, you, if you're in the need to get coached up on your sales quality, I, Peter's your guy. I'm a, I'm a con- Any parting thoughts, that. Peter? Yeah, um, final thoughts. Never stop discovering. <laughs> There you go. Love that. Thanks, Thanks Mark, Peter. Peter. 